we're continuing our series on You Deserve More on the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, we've been walking through the series with this theme of scarcity mentality. And it's really easy for us, especially in the climate that we are in, the financial climate, the inflation, and everything that's going on around us, the uncertainties, all the uh, pressures that we have in terms of our, our needs and our, our financial pressures. It's so easy to develop a scarcity mentality. And once we have that, we find ourselves becoming white-knuckled in our grip on certain things that we don't want to let go of. When we function by a scarcity mentality, we tend to hold to certain things tighter. And we realize in that tight grip, we don't really hold to God. We fear that we're going to lose certain things. And so we hold those things more tightly than we do in our relationship with God. You see, when we do, it becomes increasingly more difficult for any one of us to open up and to embrace the Father and to experience His provision, to experience His power, and to experience His leading on our life. Today, we're going to continue by focusing on Psalm 23. And in particular, we're going to focus on the verses 3 to 4 and discover some insights that David brought, uh, that David brings to us when he was experiencing the darkest valley of his life. You know, some of the questions that we're going to reflect upon together is, how do we make sense of those moments, those darkest valleys, when we go through it and we are following Jesus? How do we prevent our fears and our insecurities from drifting us away from God. So let's read today's passage together. Uh, we'll be reading from the NIV, Psalm 23, and I'll be reading verses 2 to 4. It says this, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again that when we hear these words, they're not just two-dimensional, they're not powerless, they're not just good ideas. These are true words that have power in our lives even today. For those of us who are having trouble accessing that, especially when we're going through our darkest valley, Father, at this time, will you render the heavens and come down? At this time, Father, Lord, will you open up those spaces? Will you pierce through our darkness? Will you open up our locked doors, Lord? And allow us to experience you. I pray, will you give us an openness of spirit to engage with you this, this morning? Speak to us, Lord. Get to us. Reach us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first point that I want to bring out as we focus on these two verses here is God leads us. He says, Jesus leads us toward righteous paths. 
He says, you lead me in right paths or you lead me towards righteous paths. The Hebrew word that's actually used here is naha. Naha, it's a very particular word where when we say lead, that can mean a lot of different connotations. But the specific word naha, what it means, it's, it's, it's used in a word where um, oftentimes it's brought in, in the form of shepherding, in the context of shepherding. Uh, when we think about animals or trying to lead animals, a lot of us in a Western context, we automatically think about like cowboys, right? Or driving cattle towards where they need to go. And so when we let cattle out, in order to get them to their green fields, we see cowboys on horses and their dogs and just kind of like rallying them and, and moving them so that they can be all pushed in a certain direction of where they need to go to eat. And then when they herd them up again and to bring them back home, they do the same thing. It's almost like driving them. It's pushing them. It's forcing them. It's surrounding them. It's kind of threatening them around and inducing fear to make them move in a certain direction. But the word here, when it says lead, naha, it's not the word for driving the sheep towards a certain direction. It's actually a different word that's more subtle. It's, it's the image of guiding. And that's why some translations, they use the word guide. It, it connotes more of a suggestive, follow my voice. And so we see the shepherd not behind driving the sheep forward, but we see the shepherd forward in front of the sheep, and the sheep are following by his voice. That's the lead. That's the naha. That's the image that we see where God says he leads us towards righteous paths. What righteous paths connote is it actually means to be placed in or to keep walking in a manner in which we are placed in a right relation with God. So th that's every moment of our life. He says, God's spirit, God's voice constantly leads us that at every moment as we're listening and we're straining our hearts, ears, and our minds, ears to listen for God's voice, to listen, listen for Jesus' voice, it keeps directing us towards being in a right relationship with God at each moment of our life. It's always walking with Him. See, there are two implications that this word connotes and this verse connotes for us. The first one is this. If it is this naha, this gentle leading by His voice, the first implication that we have if we are his sheep, if we are to follow him, is this. Do we know the shepherd's voice? Can we identify his voice more and above every other noise, every other voice that is out there that is vying for our attention? You see, in the Middle Eastern times where shepherd, or uh, sorry, in the Middle Eastern space where shepherds would lead their sheep, oftentimes the paths that they go on, they are, they're not too wide. And so if you have a herd of 50 to 100 sheep of your own and everyone is going in the same direction or everyone is going to that pasture land, you can picture different um, parties of shepherds and different parties of sheep all mingling together and they get mixed in that bunch as a shepherd is trying to lead its own flock towards a certain direction. You see, if the sheep 
in order for them to continually follow its shepherd, it needs to identify in that mess, in that chaos, with all of that noise, all of the bleeding that is happening at that time, they have to identify the shepherd's voice over every other shepherd. If we don't, the sheep quickly find themselves lost. You know, for us, we need to ask ourselves, which voices are we listening to? Can we identify Jesus' voice, Jesus' spirit in our life, the way he leads us in right paths, to be in right relationship with God at every step? Because if we don't, we begin to lose our way. And part of the consequences of losing our way is not being in a right relationship with God. In other words, is being far from God, is drifting away from God. And when we are drifted away from God, we don't feel his presence. We don't feel the security of God being our shepherd. See, sometimes when we look at our own lives, and, and we, we might feel that way right now, where we feel like, I don't feel God in my life. I don't sense God making an impact or feeding my soul or really being my shepherd. Is it possible? It's because we've gone astray. Is it possible we've gotten lost because we were enamored by a different voice? We were pursuing something else. We got so caught up with something else that we're doing that we went astray. It's possible that we don't sense God's presence, it's because we've, we're prone to wander and we're outside of the shepherd's presence. The second thing that we learn here, the implication of he guides us, this Naha word, is that he says he leads us in righteous paths, but look at the qualifier that he makes here. He says, for his namesake. Now, that's a really important qualifier for us to hear because the reason is always about Jesus, his character. It's not about our character. It's not about who we are or how good we are. He says he does it for his own namesake. Why is that good news for us? This, this is really good news for us is because that means that the shepherd can do no other thing and desires to do no other thing with its own sheep, with us, but to lead us in right paths. So what does that mean? It means this. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you less because it's not about you. It's not about how worthy you are. It's about Jesus' character. So why is that good news for us? It's because of this. No matter how far you have strayed, no matter how bad you feel that you are, no matter how many times you feel like you betrayed him, you will never see Jesus saying to you, sorry, you got lost again. Sorry, that's your fault. You'll never hear Jesus say, oh, you never took the time to get to know my voice. Sorry, that's your fault. You'll never hear Jesus say, now how many times is this that I've come back for you? No. He says, for his name's sake. In, in other words, Jesus can do no other thing because of his character, who he is. He can do no other thing but always desire to bring you back and into the shepherd's presence. 
to bring you back and into a right relationship with God. This is why we see different images within the New Testament where Jesus talks about a parable where he will leave the 99 and go to seek out the one wayward lamb. But he doesn't do it with anger. In fact, when he finds it, what does he say happens as a result? There's a rejoicing. People celebrate over the recovered sheep. You see, brothers and sisters, rather than us feeling guilty that Jesus comes for us, guilty that we've gone astray, guilty that I feel like I'm not worthy or God won't listen to me or what's the point of crying out to Jesus right now when I know that it's my fault? Know this, that when our shepherd, when Jesus comes to us, he comes with a celebratory mindset saying, I'm so glad I found you. I'm so glad you're going to listen to my voice and follow me where you belong. There's no condemnation for those who follow Jesus. You know, the shepherd is always aware of where his sheep are. And as long as we bleat, as long as we cry out to Jesus, the shepherd will come for us. He will find you. Now notice when he says this. We, we see in this passage, he says, this shepherd, he always leads us in a right relationship with God. Or he always leads us in paths that keep us in a right relationship with God, our Father. But look right after that is mentioned in David's Psalm 23. Look what he says very, at the very next verse. In verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley. What does this mean? He's saying part of the right paths for us involves darkest valleys. Did we get that? It's, it's something very difficult for us to grasp. Some of the right paths for us so that we remain in a right relationship with Jesus are darkest valleys. You know, some of us, we've grown up with an overly simplistic and misguided assumption of how our relationship with God is supposed to work. We, we have this assumption that as long as I do good and as long as I keep following Jesus, then happiness and blessings should just be part of my life, right? We have that mindset, right? That I do good, I'm in church, I'm following Jesus, nothing but happiness, nothing but good doors opening up and everything in my life being successful. That's what we think. That's what we assume. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And then we also think the opposite as well, that bad things happen when I don't care about God. Bad things happen when I simply sin. Bad things happen result in this, em this emptiness that inside of my heart because I'm sinning against God or I'm going in these dark places. But over and over in the Bible, we are told otherwise. Look at the Old Testament. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about the teacher who's reflecting on what seems to be so at odds 
with his understanding of God. God, you are so good and you keep saying that you want my life to be blessed. But why do I see the, the evil people continually prospering and I see faithful people continually suffering? See, brothers and sisters, it's not such an easy equation. And it's not something that we can fully comprehend. But what we know from David's insight he says part of the right paths for us is actually to go through darkest valleys. Remember in the New Testament, the disciples are walking along and the disciples had that mindset as well. And they asked Jesus as they saw that blind man begging for money. They said, Jesus, who sinned? Did we get that? Right away, they see something that's, that people would say is unfortunate of what happened to this person. And their automatic assumption is they deserved it somehow. They were sinning somehow. It's either his parents or himself. And so they asked Jesus, who sinned? Because obviously that's the way that God works. God would never allow uh, a person uh, to be born disabled if there was no fault of his own. So they automatically assume he's paying for his own sin or he's paying for his parents' sin. And remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, neither. This has nothing to do. This person's darkest valley has nothing to do with sin. In fact, his life was created, he says, and look how Jesus focuses on it, whether he's blind or not. He says, his life was created to bring glory to God. In the same way for each and every one of us, our life was created no matter whether we are in our heights, no matter when we're in our darkest valley, our life was created to bring glory to God. You know, darkest valleys are part of our journey. And this makes sense when we look at the way that the Middle Eastern uh, shepherds lead their own flock. You know, in Palestine today, there still exists shepherds who refer to a certain valley as the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, this valley is known to be just south of the pathway that connects Jerusalem and Jericho. Remember that pathway? We, we hear about this pathway in the Good Samaritan. Remember it says that this man was traveling from, uh, um, from Jerusalem to Jericho? And that pathway was known to be a treacherous valley, a treacherous pathway where bandits would wait because you can't run. It's so narrow, it's so tall, you can't run away. And once you're caught in there, you are caught. And they found a man beaten there that the Good Samaritan takes care of. It's this valley that they call the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's long and it's narrow. It's actually been cut out by rushing waters when there was an overflow of waters during rainy seasons that waters would rush in and continually carve out that pathway or that dark valley between two mountainsides. In fact, it's a very, it's a very narrow and jaggedy kind of pathway where it's around five uh, uh, five miles long and about 12 feet wide in its widest section. So very narrow. In fact, some of these areas are so narrow that when shepherds lead their sheep through it, it's so tight that there's no room for the sheep to actually turn around. They can't turn around. It's so narrow that they can't turn. 
you know, for the sheep, there are seasons in which the shepherd has to lead their sheep through that valley. And the reason why isn't because the shepherd wants to expose the sheep to dark, dangerous places. It's because the shepherd needs to get the sheep from where they are today to where they need to be tomorrow. You see, today in the place that they are, for whatever seasons are happening in this place, it's a dry season. There's no lush grass on this side of that pathway. Everything has been eaten out. Everything is brown. And so the shepherd has to take that journey and lead its sheep in and through that pathway to get to the other side where there is lush pasture land for the sheep to graze in. You see, it's an open pathway. It's not a dead end where the, sh- where the shepherd leads them into that place and says, yep, this is our season. We're just stuck in this valley. No, it's a season where they pass through and to get to the other side. In fact, it's not a dead space. It's an open passageway. There is an opening at the end that leads the sheep to good pasture. You know, think about that in our own life as well. As our shepherd, as God leads us, there are certain moments in our life that the places that we've been grazing, the places that we've been developing our relationship with God, it has been good for that season. But for whatever reason, it has gone dry. In other words, it doesn't fill us anymore. There's no more nutrients in this place. It is a dead space. It's not the season to be grazing in the space anymore. And to lead us from this dead space where we can get nothing more out of what we used to get out of it, our shepherd then says, we need to get through this valley. We need to get through this space in order for you to get from here that's been, that's been drying out your spirit to there that will fill your spirit. But it's a narrow, pa- it's a narrow pathway. It's a dangerous pathway, but the promise is that God will help us to get there. See, how many of us, brothers and sisters, are stuck? We are stuck in our current spaces because we reminisce on our past and we think, well, it worked before, so why can't it work today? Well, a very simplistic reason it may be this is that it served its purpose for that season in your life. But now there's a new purpose. Now there is a greater pasture land that we need to get to. And it requires a refining of our life through that darkest valley to get us to the new place that we need to get, that we need to, get to so it can replenish us It can fill us. It can excite us once again. But the only way to get there is through this darkest valley. See, in this psalm, David points out two barriers that keep us from going through this passageway. The first barrier is fear. So if we're in this place and we've been nourished uh, nourished and nurtured here before, Sometimes in our minds and sometimes in our life, we feel like, hey, it's worked in the past, right? So why can't I stay here? And so fear, because we kind of know the valley's approaching, we do everything to avoid that valley. 
because we can sense it. As, as we hear God's voice, he leads us in a certain place, and we know because it's so narrow. Some of the things that we're holding on to, that white-knuckled scarcity mentality, saying, I can't let go of this, whether it's our finances, our job situation, our, um, whether it is our uh, relationships that we're holding, it can be anything. We're holding on to it so tightly that he's saying, you got to let go of this in order for us to get from here to over there. See, sometimes that fear, if we hold on to it and we remain where we are, and, we, and because of our fear of that dark valley, we just stay here and we think that it's better for us here, what happens is that fear eats away at our joy. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, are some of us feeling a lack of joy in our life, especially when it comes to our relationship with God? If we are, is it possible that this is because our fears prevent us from accepting the call to walk through that valley to get us to the other side? And all we're doing is we're eating in dead spaces that does not nurture or nourish our soul. See, when we linger around looking for things to fill our hearts, nothing will satisfy in dead spaces. See, fear also is experienced during the journey. So we'll, we'll say, say some of us, we've decided, yes, let's follow Jesus and we'll go through that path and we take the courage and we go in it. But as we go in it, we begin to fear the journey itself. We feel like, I'm going to be overwhelmed. It's too much for me. I don't think I can manage, and I want to quit right here. You see, during the journey, this fear, it begins to eat away at our hope. In our darkest valley, we begin now to think there is no opening. We think that this is all that there is, and we're prone to stop moving and accept what's meant to be simply a, a temporary circumstance to be our permanent one. We just accept the fact because of our fear of our journey we just freeze and we stay in that space and we just say I guess that's what it is I guess that's what my relationship with God amounts to I guess there is nothing more and we allow that lie to begin to form our new faith but remember the darkest valley is not a closed valley the darkest valley is not a place where we're meant to reside it's an open space where we're supposed to get through it to the other side. Brothers and sisters, do not accept the lie when we're going through our darkest valley. You are not meant to stop. Keep following your shepherd out no matter how hopeless it makes you feel. The second thing that it points out is our insecurities. You know, sheep in particular as an animal species they have a special problem. Do you know what the sheep's special problem is? Is they have no natural defense. There's no natural defense that sheep have. Dogs have their teeth and their speed. Uh, horses can kick and they have their speed as well. Bears, they can claw and they can use their weight against, um, against uh, different animals. But sheep... What do they have? They really have nothing. All they can do is bleat. Bah, bah. That's all they do, right? But they can't save them. It can't help them. 
So the only other recourse for sheep is actually to hide. So they either bleat, right, and keep on bleeding, or they hide. You know, we need to decide, despite our, what our insecurities may be of what I'm going to lose or, you know, why I want to hold on to certain things so much. During those times, we need to figure out, is what you are holding on to, is what you're putting your trust in, is it really worth it? Is it really going to save you? Is it really going to help you? Because in these moments, you have to decide, am I going to continually entrust my life to the Father's voice and to keep on following Him? Or am I going to listen to my fears and my insecurities that I have? Because if I lose this finance or this cushion that I have, I don't think I'll be able to have hope anymore. I don't think I'll be able to survive. And so we just grasp that. For some of us, it's about relationship. If, if I just hold on to this relationship, I can't let go of this. It's the only thing that's holding me together. Then we can't follow God's voice. Because in order to follow him through those narrow pathways, some of the baggage that we carry, it has to be taken off, off in order for us to fit. See, for us, do we trust our shepherd? Or we, do we trust in these different securities that we're holding on to? Here's the good news. The good news that we have in this passage is that he says we have a shepherd. He leads me through the darkest valleys. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil. Why? Why will you fear no evil? It's because he says this, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good news here is we have a shepherd that will lead us and that will guarantee us to help us get through this valley and to the place that we need to go for that refreshing. Despite our fears and insecurities, the sheep experience, there is this good news. There is this shepherd that can address our fears and insecurity. In terms of fear, the sheep have experienced that the shepherd's whole being, the whole character of the person is about protecting, providing, and caring for the sheep so that it may thrive. That's the purpose of a shepherd. Shepherd has no other purpose. That's who the shepherd is. If he can't do that, he can't be a shepherd. That is our God. His job, his desire, his whole character is to make sure that we are protected, we are provided for, we are cared for, and to get us to a place where we can thrive. That is our God. So before and during our darkest valley, the sheep needs to ask ourselves, can we trust this shepherd? And if we can, will we follow his voice despite our fears? Look what he mentions. The reason why we can trust him, he says, the shepherd holds a rod and a staff in his hands. Now, Sometimes, you know, some of the nice paintings that we have of Jesus being the shepherd and holding a staff, it looks like a nice walking stick, right? And, and we look at that and go, oh, that's the rod and the staff, right? That the, hold it. But it's not. It's just a nice image, right? But that's not actually what Middle Eastern shepherds have. 
actually they have something called a rod, but it doesn't look like a rod. It actually looks more like a mace. It's actually two feet in about in two and a half feet in length. And the handle part is the handle, but at the end, they find an object that has a bulb-like thing at the end. So it almost looks like a mace. And what they do is they drill into it iron pieces at the end of that bulb. So it really looks like this, this, this nasty weapon that you can use against anyone. And it looks terrifying. He says, you have your rod this weapon in your hand. And what would they use this weapon for? It's to beat off wolves, bears, any wild animal that may come. It's a very aggressive weapon. You see, it protects us from all of our enemies. In that same way, our shepherd has this rod in his hand and he says, as you go through this darkest valley, as dangerous as these predators are, and all of these things that want to have us and that cause us fear, we have a shepherd who has a weapon that can beat any one of these spirits, any one of these principalities, any one of these predators off of us. We just need to keep following him and trusting him. We need to resist hiding and falling away. He also says that he holds a staff in his hand. The staff was around five feet in length, and it always had a crook at the end of it, like a little bit of a hook. And the reason why is because sometimes as they walk through that, that really narrow, craggedy kind of pathway, the sheep would fall into crevices, or the sheep would fall in into the cliffside. And so what the shepherd would have to do is to reach down with the stick with the hook end on the other side and to hook on underneath the, arm, uh, the, um, the armpits of the sheep and to lift them up out of that crag. In other words, for sheep that wander, for sheep that fall because of our own fears, we have this guarantee. Our shepherd has a staff that can save us from our own mistakes. See, the rod and the staff, they comfort us. Why? Because the rod says, to external predators, the, the things that want to eat us alive. He says, I will beat them down. They have no power over you. Your life is in my hands. And to the staff, it addresses our own mistakes, our own failures, our own wanderings. And he says, don't worry, I have the staff. It will guide you and it will pluck you up out of the own dangers that you make for yourself. See, brothers and sisters, we have this kind of shepherd in our lives. Now the question we need to ask is this. Today, who will you trust? I know it's hard because we want to hold on to certain things. But we need to follow his voice. We need to identify what his voice sounds like. And we need to trust him. How will you begin to live this life you have been given? Are you going to maintain in those dead spaces? Well, there's nothing more here, but for you, it's safer. And that's why you choose to stay here. But if you do, it eats away at your joy. Brothers and sisters, let's trust our lives to him and believe that even when we are led through our darkest valley, it's to bring us to a place where we can thrive. 
is to bring us to a place where we are in a right relationship with God. And we can see how that helps us to thrive in our everyday life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you love us this way. You are a shepherd. And because of you, I shall not want. You lead me and you guide me to places of rest, to places of restoration. And even when it leads me into the darkest valleys, I fear no evil because you are with me. You walk with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. May we experience this more and more as we choose to trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.